is really looking at going hungry. And there is nobody to blame for this but the Russians. All right. Anyway, I'll try to confirm that story later. But I read it. I read it briefly. I think in like you're on my or something. But uh, anyway, uh, so I guess this might be a good opportunity to do some uh, general announcements. You're listening to the Maria Report. Uh, we're a 24-hour space uh, dedicated to discussing the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the Russian genocide against the Ukrainian people. Uh, so we discuss news and uh, try to give you guys uh, analysis and uh, different speakers uh, who have uh, some military backgrounds, but also some academic backgrounds. Uh, and sorry, I'm just going to mute Portland there. Um, anyway, uh, sorry. Uh, if you guys uh, could help us out, we, we support MariaAid.org. Uh, there's uh, lots of ways you guys can help. So if you please uh, would consider uh, retweet the space. It does help us uh, spread our message a little bit. Uh, to people who might not have heard it before, and also just uh, tell other people about it. Tell people about uh, Maria Report. Uh, we do appreciate uh, you guys spreading the message, and uh, you know everything's possible because of our listeners, and we appreciate you guys uh, helping us. Uh, second, of course, we do uh, support MariaAid.org. Uh, Maria Aid is a charity organization uh, that is run completely by volunteers, just like us, and that means that 100% of everything uh, goes directly to acquiring non-lethal aid and uh, delivering it to Ukrainian soldiers and civilians on the front lines. Uh, things like tourniquets, hemostatic bandages, drones, thermals, night vision, body armor, uh, things that will save Ukrainian lives on the ground uh, right now. And uh, Maria Aid is an organization that's run completely by volunteers, which means every penny, everything uh, goes directly to acquiring the equipment and sending it directly to Ukraine. So uh, we appreciate everyone. We understand not everyone uh, can donate, but if you can, uh, we would really appreciate it. And we don't uh, have anything uh, here in terms of getting us a cup of coffee or anything. Everything we do here is in support of MariaAid.org. So thanks so much, everyone who donates. And uh, please, uh, anyone who donates in the future, thank you very much. And uh, last, uh, we have a great panel up here. Please uh, feel free. You can press the uh, mic button in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. Press the uh, heart icon in the center and uh, raise your hand in the far right. And uh, we'll do our best to answer your question. I think Portland's here for a little bit longer. Uh, so I'm going to let Portland go ahead, and then we'll go to Misfit. Portland. I want to talk about your announcement for a second. And I'm stoned a little bit, so I apologize. But, like, I can only talk about this particular piece of my experience when I am chemically altered. So I'm sorry, you guys are just going to have to live with that. So I only have one recurring nightmare. Well, two, but only one that matters in this circumstance. And that is an Iraqi man who, in the process of a um, a fairly nasty shootout with a... Uh, um, a militia group with the uh, called the Office of the Martyr Sada. They were uh, extreme um, Shia nationalists in in Iraq. They that believed that essentially Iraq belonged to Syria as part of the uh, as part of the Syrian Caliphate. Sorry, part of the Islamic Caliphate. Uh, now, the Iraqis themselves rather violently disagreed with that notion that the OMS wasn't, you know, wasn't big on that concept. So anyway, um, I was a combat medic, and one of the things that is difficult about combat medics is that you treat according to primacy of needs you don't treat your own buddies first you treat whoever most needs treating in the moment that you are treating them there is another very very hard rule about being a combat medic which i struggle with um constantly struggled with actually still struggle with and that is if you do not have the resources to save someone or to stabilize them for long enough to get them to somebody who can save them, you don't waste the resources. That is, you don't, if, 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 yeah, if you don't have the resources to save them, you don't even try. You save those resources for somebody down the road that maybe you can uh, save. And this leads me to this young Iraqi man who'd taken a 7.62 round through the gut. It had gone in one side, um, 
probably perforated his bowel, went out the other side, and he was bleeding like a stuck pig. And I knew instantly that I couldn't save him. But in my handy-dandy med kit, I had a shit ton of quick cloth and Israeli bandages. And I was like, okay, I can keep this guy. I can control the bleeding enough that I can make sure that this guy is still alive when he gets to the battalion aid station. Lo and behold, I start digging around in my pack. And I have one sheet of quick cloth left, which means that I can cover one wound, but not the other wound. He's going to bleed to death anyway. So I didn't even open the package. I put it back in my pack, and I sat there and held his hand while he bled to death. And the long and the short of the story is that this guy died because I did not have a $10 pack of quick locks. All we are asking for is $10 for a pack of quick locks or $30 for a tourniquet or, if you can afford it, $300 for a um, for a level 3A helmet. Or in the most extreme case, you know, $5,000 for a thermal rifle scope. Like... You can make a difference with amounts very small, and you can make a difference with amounts very large. How you make that difference is up to you, but you can make a difference. And the the plea of helplessness is a convenient fiction. It is not true. It is in your power. You can do this. And that is enough lecturing from me. All right, let's go to some other hands. Misfit, sir, I see you've been waiting patiently. Yeah, um, and great discussion tonight, as usual, guys. And thank you, Portland, for the story. Um, it's the second time I've heard that one, and it's it's touching each time. Um, I don't have any experience in that regard, but I can say that it is very easy to donate to Maria Aid. Um, it takes about a minute. If you're handy with the cell phone, um, so if you can give, you know, please do. That's why we're here. Um, a bit of good news uh, came down the pipe just recently, and that was um, Ukraine apparently hit a Russian command post near the Antonovsky Bridge. Apparently, it's a uh, hotel complex, uh, so it seems like a good place for lots of uh, Russian invaders to amass and die um there's some good footage of it i've tweeted about it um but i thought i would share that bit um and then i also had a quick question um i did see someone post that uh we we've seen the story most of us have seen the story anyway that iran is or russia's looking to get attack drones or drones supplied from iran and uh, I read tonight that the U.S., that it was claimed the U.S. would sanction Iran uh, if they were going to do that. So I, this one's probably more for finance, uh, but whoever can answer. Um, what does that look like? Uh, will that work? Um, is there any way to stop the uh, drone supply from happening? Thanks. What does the U.S. sanction Iran look like? That's uh, how long is a piece of string? We're already sort of sanctioning them. They're still a state sponsor of terror. <coughs> Not even the Obama deal pulled them off that list, despite you thinking it did, because they really were doing business with them. Um, so how much more we want to sanction them? Uh, I tend to view Iran with about as negative views as possible. There's very little positive I can say about their revanchist jihadist regime that is absolutely horrific for a majority of their own people and a majority of places where they export billions of dollars worth of terror every year. So uh, giving doing any trade or giving them any sort of flows or ability to use cash, I think is disgusting. So on the other hand, they're already so sanctioned that they're probably just going to throw their uh, lot in with uh, Russia to make a bad boy broadcast block and I don't think we can fully stop them from sending their stuff. That said, we could, 
<clears throat> make it harder for people who we know are buying their <coughs> oil or places their oil is mixed in. We could make it harder for where we know Iran's oil is getting mixed into other places. There is more we could do. Um, there is abilities to travel to Iran from a number of other countries that we could make that more difficult if we really went after it. Um, so there's more we could do. Um, absolutely, the Iranian deal during the Obama era happened to have the side effect of pissing off pretty much all of our allies in the Middle East, as well as making all of them think that we are a bad partner. That would be the Arab nations that are his, the Sunni Arab nations that are historically our allies, as well as Israel, all of whom both view Iran as an existential threat and pay the cost that the rest of us don't for the deal, which is everyone in the world gets the benefit if they don't get a nuke from it. That's brought under question, but that's the gist is they supposedly don't get a nuke, but they get lots of money. Problem is when you give lots of money to Iran, they use it to spend on terror, which looks like lots of terror being used on, especially on local Sunni Arabs and Israel, which of course all of them hate. So yeah, we could sanction the war. Yes, I sort of think we should already. Yes, it would make sense for that to happen. <coughs> um, Biden just wrapped up a Middle East tour and might be looking for a way to reposition himself um, in the area. So it could be an excuse as opposed to a thing. Either way, I, personally, I think it's a good piece of foreign policy. Uh, not saying all the people we work with in the Middle East are, are uh, well-behaved Boy Scouts, but I think that uh, there is definitely shades of worse here, and Iran is that. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of my view, what that looks like. They're already pretty heavily sanctioned, so we can go harder, but on the other hand, we are already sanctioned heavily. You don't have as much to lose by trading with Russia, and it looks like they're trying to work more closely with them now and later, so I think that's going to happen. Thank you, and uh, I hope you get Hope you feel better soon, man. I actually feel a lot better today. I just can't stop coughing and it's pissing me off. So I'm just really mad while I can't speak well. Our next hand, Chris, welcome up. Thanks, uh, sir, for popping on and off. Uh, kept kicking me off or went radio silent there. Had to pop off and pop back on. We're it, having it, horrific tech issues right now. It happens. I yeah. think I uh, have infected Twitter with my cough. That could be the case, yeah. Uh, Portland, I'm just curious, bud. Uh, you know, I listened to you over the last little while, and it's just amazing how much knowledge you have. Are you able to share with us? Uh, how do you retain so much knowledge? Uh, where'd you get all this knowledge from? Any background uh, information give us that uh, might be interesting? Really love listening to you. If, uh, if I, uh, if I'm ever on that, uh, who wants to be a millionaire? I think you're going to be my uh, call a friend. <laughs> call you for uh, information I might need. <laughs> Um, 11 years with the British Army, uh, left to join the Army when I was 16 with a bunch of forged paperwork, needed to get away from my parents. The British Army lets you join at 16 with parental consent, but they won't deploy you until they until you turn 18, which means that that's where they get all of their, like, really high-skill professionals doing things like... Um, battlefield medicine and specifically medics that are qualified for special operations. So uh, did 11 years of that, got injured, uh, spent a while convalescing, working for a bank, which made me incredibly miserable. Um, got fired from two banks within six months because they, they hired me to do debt collections. And I was like, okay. I can get your money back. And they were like, your customer service is terrible. And I'm like, these people stole money. I can get your money back uh, or I can make them happy. I can't do both. And, uh, you know, in the end, you know, predictably I got fired. Um, went back to school, uh, did a degree in, engin in engineering, uh, then went on and did a master's in electrotechnical engineering. Um, then moved to the United States where I started working as a PI because I couldn't get work as an engineer because 
the field of fusion research that I wanted to be in had just gotten shit canned because of the Great Recession, 2008. Um, wound up applying my combination of military know-how and engineering skills to being a PI. And ever since then, I have been expanding my knowledge of uh, what specific kinds of disasters look like under specific circumstances. So my entire job is is to look at a uh, look at a horrific disaster and tell everybody how did this happen. Fascinating. Thanks for the uh, info there. And uh, like I say, appreciate uh, you being on here and giving us, uh, sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys like it. I know that I can be a bit much at times. So like, you know, anytime I start soaking up the oxygen in the room, just, you know, tell me and I'll, uh, I'll cool it. I think the chemicals uh, definitely help. You're always a blessing on the late shift, Portland, for the USA. You share my time zone. You're a night owl like me. I, I appreciate it, man. Well, thank you. Portland, you're starting to sound like you're a bit thermobaric. Uh, yeah, you know, I soak up all of the oxygen and then I kill you by uh, uh, causing your lungs to uh, to burst from the pressure wave. It's not the worst way to describe me. Usually I settle with a um, man who looks like a walrus lost a fight with a combine harvester. All right. Well, with that amazing explanation, Mr. Mr. Walrus, while, uh, while I've got you here and you're uh, sucking up oxygen, uh, one, of our, one of our listeners who, quite frankly, sometimes comes up, so I don't know why he sent it to me, sent me a message saying the U.S. is transitioning to a 650-kilometer rocket missile called PRSM to be fired by LMRS and HIMARS. The Atacams is on its way out of service to some degree with the U.S. So the U.S. will likely start destocking. In 2023, the U.S. is buying 120 PRSMs. So does that mean that uh, we should have extra Atacams to spare? Are you aware of this uh, new? Uh, are you aware of this new uh, upgraded long-range missile capabilities? And- um. In a limited sense, yes, but I am not a sufficiently important or interesting person that they have let me uh, let me see it, let me look at it, and the testing has been done under sufficiently cagey circumstances that I can't extrapolate performance parameters from it. It appears that... Um, they haven't changed the propellant type. The warhead payload is the same, but they have swapped out a lot of metallic components for a mixture of fiberglass, carbon fiber, um, and other lightweight, uh, lighter weight material so that they can boost the missile to an even higher speed using the same using the same motor i think one of the things that they've modified is they've given it a slightly different uh control arrangement so instead of uh losing speed by using control surfaces to change its course it has a little vernier duct so you can tap some of the exhaust gas from the main engine to cause it to maneuver uh, in whatever way it is you want it to maneuver. Uh, so it, it's a uh, technology derived from uh, Manta and Asta. It's it's really very promising. And uh, I imagine a carbon skin would have a lower radar footprint uh significantly lower um the the thing is is that the media reporting is is really just a bunch of press releases and uh you know what i'm like until i have some way of measuring actual performance i tend to be um skeptical well you heard portland world uh please send this uh 
what is it called? Uh, P per persons. Is there like a way to say it? That's not the letters. Um, it's PRSM. We're unsure if it works. We are sure that the Atacams works and we are. Sh- and according to every military person who ever shows up on our space, uh, as Portland often says, uh, if we, if Ukraine gets Atacams, uh, Russia may well just pack it in because they're probably done within a week. So um, why not send them the old stuff that we're getting rid of anyways in the next I couple of years? If I was up against an enemy that was equipped with Atacams and I did not have a ballistic missile system that could cope with Atacams, I would just throw in the towel. I would just be like, okay, I'm done. You can keep it. Ukraine sucks anyway. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, we really can look at this situation and say with confidence that like, I'm sorry, guys, um, this shit doesn't work. You know, S-400 is incapable of defeating Atacams. That's, that just is a fact and it will remain a fact, uh, forever. I agree. That seems like the end game here. Give them Atacams or Atacams and, uh. That's basically a strategic defeat by from Russia. Like that's there's not much they can do to respond if their air defense can't hit it, which Portland's pretty confident about, and uh, seems pretty likely based on the complete success of uh, the HIMARS strike so far. So, uh, good points, Portland Finance. Uh, any follow up there? No, I I think we covered it. In other news, though, nobody's asked about it today. Um, Sparebank got hit with uh, sanctions and is pulled from SWIFT finally. Uh, I think it might have had something to do with all the fire sales we saw a couple weeks ago where Sparebank had a very big footprint outside of Russia, especially in the former former Yugoslav nations. And uh, we saw them fire sailing all of their banks, usually to local players. But I could see why uh, people be a little bit reticent to drop the hammer on them because a lot of those banks probably don't just service the Russian tied businesses, but a lot of local businesses. So there would be significant knock on effects for all those economies if they just stopped working overnight. Um, this is a much more orderly way of doing things. If that was the worry, no one said that for sure, but I can tell you from my experience in finance, that's sort of my guess. Either way, Sparebank, the largest, most important foreign financing bank in Russia has basically had to sell off all of their European subsidiaries, which was not a small chunk of change, not a small uh, way of influence and size. They sold it all at a heavy discount. So yes, they got some capital for it, but they definitely uh, got their asses handed them in the deal. That's a technical financial term. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the good news there. They're now out of SWIFT. Enjoy trying to finance and move money around for your genocidal regime, only in the areas you control, I will shed no tears. Um, that was the, the biggest financial news of the day that I saw, and I was very happy about that. <coughs> if anybody else has any financial questions, I am happy to answer them. Vern, I would recommend you ask whatever question you want to ask before you get thrown down. <laughs> uh, why would that be? Um because you had the, the worst tech of anyone I've seen trying to get you up here. I think I've added you 15 times in a row. Oh, can I just apologize for that? I think it's the Bluetooth, my Bluetooth. And I've got BeatSpeak Pro, and I've also got uh, Jabra 85 Elites. And it's just, like, it's not working for me today. And I'm in an unfamiliar vehicle, so it's really distressing. But thank you for getting me on. And uh, I just wanted to say to um, Portland, uh, mate, it is such a pleasure listening to you your knowledge your cadence and your strategic use of pejorative intensifier when necessary and even when unnecessary is just such a joy and uh i think when you when you feel you might be sucking the air out of a room it's actually you can hear a pin drop because everyone is and i think i speak on behalf of all 278 listeners you know everyone is listening really just so intently to what you have to say because it really is so meaningful and uh, informative. Thank you. Uh, so uh, my view is that in order that Russia needs to be absolutely humiliated to the extreme from this 
war and bled white. Uh, what, what I'm trying to say? What? Um, how important is it, Portland, to make the most of this opportunity in order to, you know, really just make sure that 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 happens and that then they don't come back in 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 any meaningful way in the future. I'm I'm trying to rephrase a question I asked earlier, which was uh, kind of fallacious. But um, yeah, if you could perhaps help me there um, with some with some of your thoughts, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, Paul, go ahead. So, you know, I think that's a good question. It's a difficult question because it's, it's quite expansive. Um, but an expansive question is not per se uh, an invalid question. Um, and I, I can see why people would have been reluctant to engage with it much in the first place um, because it, it, it really does take you to some fairly complicated spaces. That said, I agree with you. Russia will actually in the long run be distinctly and measurably better off if they lose this thing so completely and thoroughly um, that they, um, how best to phrase this, Um, if they lose this so completely and thoroughly that they have no choice. And like the, the big mistake of World War I was that we did not carry the war into German territory and impose upon them the consequences of their behavior. And this is where you get Dolstos fabric, the stab in the back myth, right? You leave people positioned so that they can pretend to themselves that such and such a thing happened um, because of this, that, or the other, malign, malignant actor that always had it in for, you know, the brave and plucky German people. Um, Now, I actually have to say that I'm a bit more optimistic than a lot of other users, uh, but that's because I am a map-centric guy. Um, There are two things that we know to be true. One, everything is downstream of culture, and two, uh, agronomics is a bitch that uh, absolutely brooks no challenges. Right with me so far? Yes. Please continue. Um, so when I get onto the subject of agronomics, um, oh shit. Um, what I am talking about is basically the substructure that determines uh, what is possible in the world, what can be done. Um, and the, the big thing that is sort of driving a lot of Russia's more negative behaviors of late is that they have been on the receiving end of three simultaneous uh, crop failures, um, the details of which are not terribly important, and in any case, I'm too tired to dredge them up. Um, Russia is, in the grand scheme of things, kind of screwed. And this is why they are treating the situation as if it is a matter of existential need because they are still locked into a um, they are still locked into an imperial mindset. And in the imperial mindset, you you expand or you collapse. Right, because you it's a little bit like a Ponzi scheme. You've got to keep finding new 
new places, new sets of people that you can expropriate their land and thus um, claim for the uh, for the empire, uh, you know, the betterment of of all people. And now, in practice, what this actually means is that you have to run around stealing other people's shit. Um, and, you know, Russia's been doing this really successfully for a really long time, and they aren't going to stop doing it until somebody turns up and uh, really makes them pay for what they have done. And that's going to be difficult. However, there are a number of targets that we could hit that would, in my view, um, definitively uh, communicate to them that, um, that that could inflict so much damage on them that it may as well be existential despite the fact that it in fact would be not. It would be so painful that the Russian state would find it incredibly difficult to continue to operate and yet in the grand scheme of things it would not qualify uh, as an existential threat and therefore would be hugely unlikely to uh, result in nuclear escalation. And it's the same program of, of attacks that I have been promoting since sort of day one on this space when it became uh, when Atacams turned out to be something that in some small measure might possibly be on the table. What Can we purge them? Can we purge them from the Black Sea and the Azov Sea completely? Oh, yeah. The thing is, is that in many ways we we wouldn't have to because my preferred way of resolving this would be um, kill, just utterly destroy the rail hub south of St. Petersburg. I'm going to have to stop and look at a map here. Sorry, I can't do this from memory. <laughs> there we go. Got this saved on my computer. All right. So the first thing you, that you've got to remember about the Russian rail network is that basically everything runs through Moscow. Okay. You kill Moscow. And your best case scenario is uh, you are routing. Actually, let's have a look. If you're trying to go from Aral uh, and you can't go through Moscow, you've got to go through through Voronezh, then Saratov, uh, then Nizhny Novgorod, then Kirov, then Perm, then Ekaterinburg, then Sogut, to Novi Urungoy, to Narim, to Salachard to Vokuta, to Kotlas, to Vologda. So what you've just done there is you can't you can't go through Moscow and you now have to take a 6,000-kilometer round trip to avoid Moscow. So let's ignore Moscow for now. Um, so starting from the north, you've got St. Petersburg. Okay, that connects, uh, that's actually on a direct connection to Kiev. Okay, fine. We're going to hit that rail yard with four Atacams. Uh, then you've got Smolensk, uh, major switching yard, lots of trains uh, in in sidings and loading, um, major junction. Well, tough shit. We're dropping four Atacams on that. You're out of business. Bryansk, similar story, major rail uh, cross-loading hub. Boom, four out of cams, you're out of business. Orel, out of business. Um, Voronezh, um, we probably don't have to put out of business, but I'd do it anyway because it would be fun. Um, then there's Rostov on Don, that's gone. Next thing we kill is all of the bridges across the, um, the Seversky Donetsk. 
those all have to go. Then we hit the air bases at Tagungarog and Belgorod. Um, we absolutely smashed the shit out of those, like half a dozen high Mars each. And once we've done that, Russia no longer has any capacity to move material in any kind of significant quantity into Ukraine. The war, for all practical intents and purposes, is over. With 20 at the camps? Well, I'd want to do 36 because I would want to hit um, the on-ramp and off-ramp at uh, the Kerch Strait Bridge as well. Um, and I would want to look at what kind of rail yard was as close as I did get to Moscow, because I would like to let them know that I can, in fact, destroy all of their rail infrastructure around Moscow. Because I've got to tell you, if you kill that the Russian Federation breaks up. Russia is dependent on rail to move troops around to keep its various occupied uh, nations uh, under the thumb. Okay? All of that rail is centered on Moscow. You kill the rail at Moscow, Russia as a state ceases to exist. And I would want them to know that I have the ability to do that. And actually, if I was a super dick, I'd kill the rail hub of Belomorsk as well, because Belomorsk feeds the rail line that goes all the way up to Pushnoi, Polyani, and Murmansk, and there's only a single rail. You kill that station, you like, you really thoroughly put it out of action. You put the Russians in the position where they can't push resupply up to them. Yeah, to be clear, for a little economic history, when, to, to make Portland's, Portland's point stronger for everyone, when the USSR disintegrated, um, the there was like economic collapse across Russia, what's now the Federation, former Soviet states, as they moved from a uh, controlled, top-down Soviet economy to which was highly corrupt and problematic. And they crash landed with no institutions, no regulations, no rules, no clear ownership of stuff into a uh, mafia capitalist country that had massive amounts of uh, gang violence along with uh, people just sort of taking resources and then making it theirs. But the one group that did get paid by the government when everyone else didn't for literally a year or something was the real workers because without the real workers, they didn't have a country. So the only guys the the last, literally the last people to stop getting paid or stop getting anything. If you're in Russia is the real workers. That is their first priority because it is what keeps their empire together. Sorry, Portland didn't want to, didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to, to drive that point home just how important real is the empire. No, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, I don't touch on the financial or economics thing because, like, I'm a Twitter rando that's just 12 credits short of a of an econ degree. You have an actual MBA and know what the fuck you're talking about. I can look at a map and I can figure it out physically, but, like, you're the man when it comes to finance. I, I appreciate your vote of support. Half the time, I think I'm just a Twitter random that wrote finance on his profile. But I do have an MBA. Uh, the hands I see are, are misfit than liberal. Uh, liberal's been waiting long before me. I'll let him go. All right. Liberal than misfit. Hey, I appreciate that, uh, misfit. Uh, yeah, I had a question for Portland. Um, given the attacks on the Antonov Bridge and the strikes on munitions, if you're a Russian soldier in Kherson, you have partisans behind you, you have special forces operating, you know, in the weeds, you have um, uh, they're posting you know, um, signs that say, you know, um, beware of us I know that you're such a colorful personality, I wanted your hot take on what is a Russian soldier thinking right now if you're in Kherson and you're seeing these HIMAR strikes and hopefully Atacom strikes and, and um you know, there was a story that the locals 
drank with Russian soldiers and got them so drunk. And then they were eventually they had their, their throat slit. Um, what's your take or your hot take? Because I know it's going to be colorful and possibly filled with expletives. Like, what's your hot take on the morale or esprit de corps of the Russian forces in Kherson right now? Portland? Oh, sorry. I'm going to tell you guys a story. I don't tell this story very often. But um, I was responsible for some of the cleanup uh, uh, after the the war in Yugoslavia. And there was an incident that I, I won't, you know, I won't date it or uh, give too many details. But the short version was uh, not too many years before the Serbs had murdered 8,000 Muslim men and boys at Srebrenica. And uh, they were pretty well fixing to do it again at a declared safe zone that um, uh, a battalion of the Royal Irish Rangers was supposed to be, was responsible for securing. Well, the Royal Irish Rangers didn't really have any heavy weapons. They had light vehicles like Land Rovers. And the idea was that just their very presence alone would be enough to deter the Serbs. Well, the Serbs turned up with a bunch of BTRs, uh, weird light tank-looking things, and um, we were the only people that were available to go and reinforce the Royal Irish. So we wind up deployed on on this ridge in reverse slope gunnery positions with a couple of OPs up front. And we got a pretty good solid idea of what was coming down that road. And that was, to put, not to put too fine a point on it, no fucking way in hell that we could stop them if they decided that they were going to push up our ridge, we would kill a lot of them, but eventually they would win. And um, they would do exactly what they did at Srebrenica, or they'd do what they did at Omaska, and it would be an absolutely heinous crime, and um, none of us could stand it. And... uh, we collectively decided that we were more afraid of the idea that somebody would be able to say the British army stood by and let a massacre happen than we were of the possibility, the practically guaranteed possibility that we would die. And so if you have a sacred cause, if you have a thing that you have to do that you can see that it is good and it is righteous and and that it needs to happen. A professional soldier will take almost any imaginable risk. Um, he will put his life, her, his or her life, on the line knowing that the chances of victory are almost zero. So if the Russian army felt that they were engaged in this sacred cause, following men with a track record of attaining victory, then almost no matter how bad the situation in Herson is, they will find some way to hold on to the bitter end. However, the resolve of people who are here to loot and steal and rape and murder is much weaker. Um, Because ultimately, they are here to have fun. They are here to indulge their basest, most vile impulses, to take something that does not belong to them. So... That belief in a sacred cause, that that binds them, that is worth more than their lives, that is so precious to them that they will die rather than let it be said 
that the British Army could have stopped the massacre, but didn't try. Genuinely, we were more afraid of that than we were of dying. And Russia doesn't have that. They are fully aware, deep in the backs of their minds, that they are a conquering army engaged in a campaign of genocide. And that is evil. And deep down, these are weak people. Because weak people follow orders to do evil things. A strong person understands that evil is evil and refuses to participate and accepts the consequences. And therefore, when they look at the situation and they realize we have no ammunition. Our command staff is blind and doesn't know what's going on because we keep having to replace them. Our food supplies are running out. We're trapped in a city with, you know, a 100,000 people with kitchen knives that want to kill us. Um, Russian, uh, sorry, Ukrainian armor is massing to the West. Ukrainian mixed light infantry and mechanized infantry is slowly working its way around to isolate the city. And once they hit the E-97, uh, the tanks are going to roll. I'm looking at that situation and knowing I am, I am trapped doing something evil and I gain nothing by my death. I do not serve the motherland at all by dying because I am not doing anything here that is worth dying for those people will be looking for the opportunity to break and run because they know that they are about to be trapped between a hammer and an anvil and that bridge is their way out thank you Portland thank you Liberal and with that we're going to miss it go ahead Next time, I'm not going to let you go first, uh, Liberal, because uh, this following Portland stuff is uh, kind of a drag. <laughs> um, no, but thank you for that. Excuse me. I'm sorry. What's a drag, bro? Oh, ha- having to follow you. <laughs> we get this uh, beautiful soliloquy of uh, stories, and then uh, then I come up and just blather on. Uh, no, I appreciate I appreciate uh, what you were sharing and the question uh, about it, uh, and, and it I think I totally agree in the sense that the Russian soldiers who are there, um, you know, they're self-serving, you know, and, and you really spoke to a story of morale and uh, a cause to fight for, and, and I, you know, that makes total sense to me, um, but they're. These guys are selfish. They're they're looting and pillaging, like you said, and taking what they can get. Um, so they're, you know, I, I agree. I think they'll. Uh, I think a lot of them will cut and run. I'm curious if if uh, Ukraine will be able to induce some surrenders. Um, but that's just a side note. Um, I got a couple couple things that I want to ask about. Um, the first is, you know, we know that. Okay, we're hopeful. I'm hopeful that uh, Ukraine will receive Attackums missiles. Hopefully, in this newest tranche that's going to be announced here, I don't know, maybe tomorrow or the next day. Um, and we know that their Ukraine is not going to be allowed to go as far as Moscow and, and what have you. Uh, I love that thinking and all these places to bomb gloriously with these missiles, but uh, you know. More on the realistic side, I wanted to ask, what do we think the potential restrictions or the scope of use for these missiles might be once they do come into country? Um, you know, there was the talk about HIMARS staying within Ukraine's borders and what have you. But I think some real decisions have to be made in advance of these coming into the country if they if they do. Uh, because, you know, they can, just because of their potential. I mean, they could start hitting ports in Sevastopol. You know, they, they can do a lot of things to potentially 
you know, I don't really even want to use the word escalate, but to, you know, set things ablaze here. And um, someone in the U.S. is going to have to sell giving these missiles to them. And where my personal belief is, and, and Peter shared it very well the other night, is, you know, once the once the device crosses Ukraine's border, it should be theirs to do with it as they please. And, and I totally agree with that. Um, we should send them the missiles. We should let them do whatever the hell they want with them. And uh, I think they'll do a great job. But I think the reality is there might be some considerations or restrictions placed on this. And I'm curious what, what people think, um, whether they make some announcements in advance uh, or threats, in other words, to Russia to say, you know, we've got these things. And if you don't do this or if it's simply we don't say anything about them coming in until we start seeing things blow up, that would be my preference. Um, but just your guys' thoughts on what some of the considerations are, are going to be if these things do come into country as far as potential guidelines, uh, which they shouldn't have, but I think they, they might well have. Uh, Portland, do you want to take this? or? Uh... Okay, let's go with Delman. Delman, go ahead. I'm sorry. I missed part of what it was, but let's have Doman take it. Yep, no problem. Doman, go ahead. I, I wouldn't expect it to be announced um, necessarily. I wouldn't expect it to be announced until it's been used, because why would you do it? Same, you know, launching system they already have there. They've already made all the threats. Resnikov talked to the FT, what, five days ago about saying, oh, we're you know nearly done with, with discussing... Uh, getting attackums. What what more do you need to say, right? You've said everything you've been saying. Um, you've done all the talking, you've done all the threatening. The next step is to, you know, launch twenty five of them at once. Right? Um and why does it matter? It's just a different munition. You don't announce a different um you know, different type of artillery show, a different type of bullet necessarily. Um like, yes, it has much bigger capabilities, much better capabilities. Fantastic. But it was already talked about. The Ukrainian Ministry of Defense talked about it openly to the Financial Times a few, uh, a few days ago. Um, what more What more of a threat do you need? Sounds good to me. I have a second question, but uh, I'll let Liberal go uh, first if he wants, and it's it's a different topic. Uh, Misfit, I'm sorry that uh, you let me go, and... Uh... You had to follow Portland. I can I can hold my fire and um, cycle back. Uh, uh, this 